in five, four, three, two, one. Guess who's back? Back again. Gang with Steve Harrison. Um, we had a chat about the update to his latest book, Can't Sell, Won't Sell. Uh, that update came out about eight weeks ago now, six extra chapters continuing uh, the story. If you listen to the episode we did before, that's the kind of background uh, to the book. Uh, so we recap on that a little bit um, and then Steve talks about the updates that he's made. We also uh, cover, as you would expect, the uh, brand purpose kerfuffle, debacle. Uh, is it a fashion? Are uh, things on the turn? Steve has a couple of examples that said maybe that could be the case. Um, we also touch on the general politicization, if that's a word, of advertising institutions and uh, agencies, the continued uh, progress uh, of that. Um, unfortunately, we recorded this before uh, this week's uh, announcement of the latest uh, Peter Field report on brand purpose and the bizarre circular logic uh, underpinning that report. Now, Peter Field and Laz Burnett have written a, you know, a few different reports over the years, starting with the long and the short of it, must be nearly 10 years ago now, um, and several reports since then. You could argue that they've just written the same report seven times, but uh, anyway, we won't go down that. But there's a circular logic to this latest argument about brand purpose, uh, where brand purpose campaigns seem to be extraordinarily effective, uh, as long as you don't take into account the ones that weren't. So um, it's a pity that we missed that. I'm sure Steve would have a point of view. Maybe if we talk again, if that's still a conversation topic, we'll get into it. Anyway, without further ado, the return of Steve Harrison. City at the moment, you know, we've got all the because uh, yeah. yeah. they've uh, shut down construction, so all the construction workers, and then the sort of rent a crowd of you know, just people that are up for a riot, uh, yeah, have just been running you know through the, the streets of the city for about a week. Not down here, though, not in their sort of you know, genteel Mount Eliza, you know, where um, where yeah. I am, you know, it's all yeah. uh. Yeah, it's the you know highlight of the week as if a cat is stuck up a tree. That's about <coughs> that's about as, as much as we get. <laughs> yeah, cool. Anyway, um, let's uh, let's talk about what we're supposed to be 
talking about. So, um, so can't sell, won't sell. Just for the, because obviously, so if anyone's coming to the show and doesn't know that we already kind of spoke about this months ago when the first um, edition of the book came out, but you've sort of updated it since then. Uh, which we'll talk about, but for the benefit of anyone who didn't hear that and doesn't know, uh, doesn't know what we're talking about, do you want to just give us the sort of uh, brief intro to the the motivation uh, for for writing it and uh, and the sort of uh, executive summary of the key arguments? Oh, blimey. Um, okay, uh, I was. Uh, in, uh, I was prompted to write the book by a couple of things. Uh, 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 an industry friend of mine called Patrick Collister uh, does an assessment of the big award-winning uh, festivals each year, analyzes the winners, dissects the messages, whatever. Uh, he told me back in 2019 that in the, uh, of the, I think it was the 27 uh, Grand Prix winners at Cannes, only six of them had the objective of actually selling something. Um, and this kind of alerted me to the fact that maybe something was going wrong in the industry. The following year, the IPA, the Institute of Practitioners in Advertising, announced that the, that, that, that the award, the, the, the work that was winning at the big award festivals at Cannes, one show, um, the NAD, whilst they used to outperform the average advertising by a factor of 12 to 1 as far as efficiency was concerned, there was now no, there was now no difference between an award-winning piece of work and the bog-standard, you know, pretty mundane stuff that you see on your telly mm. every time you tune in. Um, fast forward. Uh, a company called System One, which analyzes all the telly, that, all the TV work that appears in the UK on UK screens. Um, System uh, One is the agency formerly known as Brainjuicer. That's right. Yeah. Yes, yes. And it is the home of a chap called Orlando Wood, who has mm -hmm. written a book I would recommend to all of you called Lemon, um, which uh, goes into the issue from a different angle, but from a scientific basis. Um, I have a slight, I have a slight, I have a slight uh, argument with that book, but uh, um, just I just really get tired of this whole left brain, right brain thing. Fair enough. Know, as a, you know, I understand it's a metaphor, but I just wonder if some people reading it actually think that you can use your right brain to do something, you know, or you know, decide to use your left brain to do something. Anyway, never mind. That's just anyway, my um, complaint. <laughs> okay. System one um, analysed all of the this year's Cannes Lion Grand Prix winners and they analysed all of, and, and they ran them against a, a selection of, again, bog standard commercials on telly. And they found that as far as the the criteria for effectiveness was concerned, the bog standard ones and out tele outperformed the, the advertising that was, was held up as exemplary by the industry. Um, so there seems to be pretty, I, I thought there was quite a lot of evidence that the industry had, forgot, had lost interest in selling. 
Mm. Okay. And I ascribe that in the original book to the fact that we are far more left-leaning than the mainstream. Mm. Uh, Andrew Tenzuni and Murray have suggested from their research that we are twice as likely to be left-leaning and progressive in our views than the mainstream. And my own research indicated that we were that London-based agencies, that people identi self-identifying as left and, uh, and left-leaning outnumbered those who identified as right-leaning by a factor of four to one. I remember the Wall Street Journal uh, estimated that something like 80% of people who work in agencies in the United States are left-leaning and progressive. Yeah. And by, and by uh, left, of course, we're, we're, we mean <clears throat> the cultural yes, left. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. They, they, I mean, in, in this country, um, they wouldn't know, the, the, the culturally left-leaning wouldn't know close four from Santa Claus. Yeah. You know, and yeah. the, the, the old kind of, the, the, the class war has been replaced by culture war yeah. uh, for our left-leaners. And so my sense was that we could no longer, as this culturally left-leaning industry, reconcile ourselves to our traditional role as the, as the provider of demand generation for a free market economy. Um, that the, how could they? How could the people who work in this industry meet up with their like-minded, left-leaning friends and explain that they were complicit in uh, a system that they see as an, uh, uh, as a as a baron, vaguely mm -hmm. baron? And so, what they decided that we were no they, it, they 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 triangulated their way out of this by saying that they were they were no longer selling things. My goodness, how you know, kind of how 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 crass that would be. We are saving the world. There's one of my favourite little paragraphs, I mean, in the book, I mean, there's many of them, but it's when, you know, you actually, <clears throat> you know, you kind of lay out the sort of logic uh, for that, which is, you know, advertising sells products which have to be made and have to be designed and that and someone gets paid and then they have to get sold and someone gets paid and then they have to be transported or distributed yes you know yes. uh you know which is um you know when you sort of spell that out you know it's kind of why would you be opposed why would anyone be opposed to that because that you know it's kind of that has that multiplier effect of of moving money through the economy um you know, what better social purpose could there be than to have full unemployment and uh, full employment and sort of uh, you know people you know doing meaningful jobs that uh, you know well I think one of this one of the, the problems that people of the progressive left haven't been able to reconcile is that a, 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 a foundation of their, of their beliefs is, is conservation and environmentalism and the climate crisis and they see capitalism and its emphasis upon continuous growth as the enemy and yeah. uh, so how do you therefore reconcile yourself to working in an industry or working in a system that has continuous growth as its objective when you actually see continuous growth as the cause of the of the thing that that, that yeah. exercises you the most and I, it's a yeah. difficult thing I think that for people on the progressive left who are fired up by the need to address the climate crisis, I think it's difficult for them to reconcile it yeah. and without 
without saying, well, actually, the answer is degrowth, which is a posh way of saying a lower standard of living for everybody, mm-hmm. or a lower quality of life for everybody. So I'm, it's it's difficult for people who work in advertising, I think, to actually come out and confront the dilemma they have. Um, so, yeah, so... Yeah, so there's a <clears throat> in my uh, in my next book there's a there's a chapter tentatively titled uh, the other kind of ad fraud you know which is right. exactly that you know so everyone everyone knows about digital ad fraud and you know yeah click farms and money being siphoned off to you know god knows where yeah uh, so that's the ad fraud we know about but the other ad fraud is exactly what you've described whereas people actually you know spending companies marketing budgets on their own pet um political or environmental causes actually to the detriment of uh, of the businesses that they're supposed to be uh, uh, promoting you know and, well this is this is one of the things that i have found over over the past 12 months that when the book came out in August of 2021, I was expecting to join, I thought I might have to join the witness protection program uh, <laughs> because of the backlash from them, from the massive people who work in the industry. And I couldn't, it couldn't have been further, the reaction I hadn't, actually couldn't have been more opposite to that. Mm. But I, oh, probably I've, I've, I've encountered resistance to my argument and i don't mean resistance but a counter argument uh, people have engaged in the counter argument from probably two people in the industry uh, one person goes on twitter and basically their argument is can be described as childish name calling um mm. so it's, it's not usually not worth responding to um and the other ad, part, ad hominem that's what they call that you know and you can't attack the idea just attack the uh attack the person yeah. instead yeah. yes yes yeah take the man not the not the ball yeah. um and it's a i'm afraid it's a typical left-leaning progressive response um to an argument that they don't want to to engage with um and the other person who who um who is kind of like proposed an alternative argument is um tim lindsay from the dnad and i 12 months ago i and i i was i took part in a debate organized by the School of Communication Arts with Tim. And I must admit, at the time, 12 months ago, I thought for me, it was it was a bit of an away game. Again, you know, the fact that I thought that I was a bit of a, a kind of like outlier in this. And Tim actually seemed to approach the, the debate as kind of as if he, he was there simply to dismiss a voice from the margins of the industry and carry on with his plan to politicize the DNAD. Uh, but since then, things have changed considerably. The venerable Mark Lewis, who organised that debate, uh, says that Can't Sell, Won't Sell is the most urgent read of our time. And remember that this is the man who runs the most successful training academy in the advertising. Right. You know, and, he, and he, he's one of many industry leaders who've come out in support of the argument. You know, so, how, like, how, so if he's, how is, you know, that, so you've got you've got uh, Lindsay's point of view, and then this point of view. How are they sort of uh, reconciling that? Uh... Well, 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 I'm about to say that the majority. I mean, the people like Paul Feldwick, Bob Hoffman, Vicky Ross, George Tannenbaum, Patrick Collister, Dave Trott, 
Ryan Wallman over in your neck of the woods are very mm -hmm. supportive of the view. Mm. Um, the book's inspired very positive support from a feature in the Indian newspaper. There's a podcast coming out in The Guardian in the next couple of weeks, which whilst I thought, again, it was going to, I'd probably get a bit of a shallaking. Um, as you know, The Guardian is the voice of progressive politics in the yeah. UK. The hearing I got was very balanced and fair and even yeah. supportive. You know, kind of, so what it led me what i'm conclusion i've come to i'm and get this there's next week's fest next month's festival of marketing here in the uk um purpose barely gets a mention this is being run by marketing week our you know very reputable you know kind of a mag for the for the client side of the industry and we've got we've got very little mention of purpose but we've got decidedly commercial insights into how on the beach increased user engagement by 53% in three weeks. How do, get this, how does creativity power growth? Another talk on the power of long-term brand, uh, the power of a long-term brand, brand platform. Right. Um, and then get this, the, the, the whole conference kicks off with embrace capitalism. Are marketers running away from their true purpose? And I don't know about you, but I just don't think this would have happened 12 months ago. No, really, that's, uh, it would not have happened 12 months ago. That's crazy. A whole, I, a whole conference devoted to issues that actually are of some importance. That's... Yeah, 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 exactly. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Whereas 12 months ago, I was being invited by campaign to their purpose summit by an mm. email which says there is no point to profit without purpose. Mm -hmm. that, that was the email that I got from campaign. Dear Steve, there's no point to profit without purpose. Mm. You know? And so that was 12 months ago. So That's things it. are, yeah. I think, changing, mm. except for the fact that there are still a small, as you said, the, uh, uh, to going back to your new book, the new ad fraud, there are a small coterie of people who are using uh, their positions within the industry and their clients' money in order to project their personal point of view onto the public. Yeah. So, you know, when we were corresponding before this, you, you would, you'd said that, you know, so you've just given an example of that conference, but you said there's more examples you've come across where, uh, you know, clients and agencies are starting to get uh, fatigued with the kind of politicization, you know, of of communications and, and all the other stuff that goes along with it, you know, the, the workplace, you know, unconscious bias training and all that kind of stuff. You know, I wonder if people have always been sort of tired of it, but now they're just getting getting really tired. Do you think it's do you think it has been like a fashion and and like all fashions that just eventually run their course and then you know, gets replaced by something else. You know, is it, is it, am I trivializing it or? Um... No, I, 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 let's see. I think it's more than a passion. It's more than, I mean, our industry is subject, is, 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 is very faddish. It is very, you know, air always tuned to the rumbling of the next bandwagon that's coming by. The mm. difference with social purposes, I think, is that it is, it has an ideological basis in the way, mm. a politically ideological basis in the way that consumer relationship marketing yeah. um, and direct response advertising and content 
marketing and native advertising doesn't have an ideological basis. Mm. You know? um, and so I don't think it will, I, 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 I think it's a fad creatively. And I'll, we can discuss that later, but I think there is a hardcore, as we said, of, of, of activists who who are using the, the their, their positions in order to to promote purpose and the social mm. justice progressive agenda. I'll give you I'll give you an example. There's a a very illuminating podcast between the veteran writer Ben Kay and and Tim Lindsay. Um, this was about 12 months ago. Okay, so this was before there was. I think this is the time when, 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 you know, before any any objections were being raised. Um, and the conversation between Ben and Tim is a is, is a folly adieu. You know, kind mm. of. It's a, they 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 are violent. Let's just say they're in violent agreement with each other. Mm. But at one point, Ben breaks into Tim and says. There's a lot of Steve Harrison's perspective out there. There are a lot of people who say we should be selling. Not only is this purpose thing a distraction, but it's damaging to advertising at a time when, if it's not on its knees, then in a somewhat more sub submissive position than it ever has been. And Tim's reply later on is, I'm very keen to keep pushing this agenda forward, despite what people like Steve may feel and think. There are people like him in the business who think this is just left in nonsense, but I don't really care about that anymore, which dissolves into laughter. You know, kind of like, like this is the man who's, you, you, this is not his startup. This is not a business that he, the DNA is not a business that he's mm -hmm. built from scratch and therefore has, you know, kind of like, like has the power, has the, has the right, has the authority to ignore you know, kind of people like Steve and lots of them, and I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I mean, the audacity and the arrogance of that, mm -hmm. you know, you know, kind of like that. I'm just, I'm very keen not to keep pushing this agenda forward. Mm -hmm. Good God. I mean, this is an organization supposedly dedicated, quote, to the, encur to en the encouraging, the en Encouraging the understanding, appreciation, and commission of good design and advertising and communication media of all kinds. Yeah. That's that's what he's paid, according to the charity commission, between 150 and 200 thousand pounds a year to do, yeah. not to keep pushing this agenda forward. Yeah. Well, so the, I clue, think the clue, you know, the clue there is in the is in the title. You know, it's like design. You know, what is it yeah. design and art direction. You know, yeah. that's what things yeah. are supposed to be evaluated on, not. Uh, you know, ideology. You know, the yeah. funny thing, the funny thing that that I find is, you know, a lot of the um, very ideology-driven advertising, actually, you know, the things like you know design and art direction and copyright. You know, none of that is even there because all you have to do is have some sort of glib kind of political statement, and then. A picture of somebody looking oppressed, you know, <laughs> and, and that's it. So there, there's hardly any, you know, there's barely any sort of discernment or design or anything or even writing. You know, sometimes the well, slogans don't even have to make any sense. You know. Um, okay, I mean, the, um, you know, the process for producing what is what has generally previously been regarded as 
as great creative work. Mm. And it starts off with the hard work of writing a brief, you know, mm. talking to the, <laughs> you, you know how hard that is. Then you have to brief that into the creatives. The creatives have then got to have a creative idea, which the textbook definition is dramatizes or demonstrates the proposition that you as a, as a, as a planner have created. Yeah. And that's just half the job, because if it, if it is any good, then that has then got to be sold by the suits to what are normally from a from every you know usually risk averse conservative clients mm -hmm. who actually just want to run what is being run by the category in general or what they ran last year last time with a tweet so it's it's hard work producing you know kind of mm -hmm. work that works you know kind of the, the but but when you look at, as you say, simply attaching your brand to a trending cause, and that's it. That's the creative mm. idea. There's a, there's a campaign for Maltesers, which you you all know is a, a yes. kind of packet of sweets with a kind of honeycomb centre yeah. and a chocolate coating. And their latest campaign right, is linking the brand to the misery of postnatal depression. Yeah. Now, how long do you think it took whoever is working on that campaign to come up with headlines like this for the posters that appeared all over the UK? Quote, I only fell in love with my son after six weeks, longest six weeks ever. That's one poster. Seven out of 10 mums experiencing mental illness hide it. That's another poster. With my baby, it was not love at first sight. Now, do you think a copyright was actually even involved in that? Uh, I think they probably picked up some leaflets, you know, sitting in the doctor's surgery and yeah. know, thought, oh, that'll do, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of, but it'll probably clean up at the, you know, yeah. at, at the next awards. And yeah. it, it's like, was is there a creative function, as we would understand it, involved in that? And aren't awards and supposed to be rewarding the entire process from the idea that drove it to mm. the way it was executed, you know, kind of in a way that, that dramatized or demonstrated an issue which caused people to remember the brand and ultimately buy the product. Yeah. I mean, you know, those small teaser things, I've seen them, you know, and, they're quite, and there were these big out-of-home executions, you know, and it was, you know, I suppose you might have looked at it, right, and you might have went, well, that's you know, uh, quite a dramatic fact to be reading, but but I don't think I would have taken any branding away from it, and I don't think I would have. If you're trying to, you know, use to make it, to create associations, right, or something, yeah. so that you know, because the, the classic Maltesers, yeah, sort of situation used to be people watching a movie, you know, yeah. and that and there would be. You know some fun thing of like different you know stuff that people do you know which is kind of eat maltesers in funny ways maybe they slide it down something or what you know and all that kind of stuff so you know there was that sort of category entry point you know which is yeah. which, they, which they tried to sort of make maltesers about movies you know all right okay right so uh but what what are those things what are they what kind of association are they trying to make there you know it's uh, oh, that reminds me, you know, I better pick up some Maltesers. Well, I, mean, I don't even think that seven out of ten mums experiencing mental illness hide it is a startling fact. Yeah. You know, I don't actually think that with my baby, it was not love at first sight, is a particularly compelling, it wouldn't make a particularly compelling magazine headline. 
you know? Yeah, I suppose, yeah. So why should it make a particularly compelling yeah. 48 sheet poster headline? You yeah, know? it's just sort of banal. It's a bit like a lot of, uh, you know, because I, uh, you know, secretly watch British TV uh, over mm. here with a <coughs> VPN. But uh, <laughs> and you see uh, some of these like Channel 4 co uh, so-called comedy shows, which is basically mm. uh, people making sort of kind of just shouting things about Brexit or something uh, in, in instead of actually having jokes or something. And everyone, yeah. just, and everyone just applauds the, uh, you know, the the thing about you know how old people are stupid or or you know yeah. wor working class people are stupid and that's the comedy and it's it's the same thing you know it's like all of the idea has been stripped out of it and it just becomes uh, it's just uh, sort of glib ideology you know Brexit for instance I don't care either way cause I don't live there anymore mm -hmm. but have you stopped people and say well explain to me exactly you know your objections or your reasons for supporting Brexit. Most people would not be able to say anything. They could parrot something that they'd heard uh, yeah. on the news, but nobody knows the ins and outs of that. So it's kind of a, such a thin, uh, a lot of time, thin ideology as well, based on just impressions of something rather than the actual uh, yeah. you know, facts of it. I think some of these yeah. things, uh, you know, I, 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 I used to joke that, uh, so in digital marketing, you know, they talk about performance media. Yeah. So that's basically, you know, digital ads that get a 0.00005% click through, you know, and 90% of that is bots. And that's yeah. and that's branded performance, you know. So these these people that are anti <laughs> that are anti advertising and branding are actually geniuses of branding because <laughs> you manage to brand something that does not perform in any shape or form as performance media, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think that if you get most of your information from Twitter and from Twitter feeds that simply reinforce the position that you've taken, not the argument, nothing as sophisticated as an argument, but the position that you've taken, which signifies, who, you know, kind of uh, your identity, then you it's, it's very difficult for you to have an argument that, that lasts for more than 140 characters. Yeah. You know, kind of in answer to your question, would people be able to explain why they are pro or anti-Brexit? You know, kind yeah. of, um, well, I've got 140 characters. Um, mm. I, there's not much more I can say to you, mate. Yeah, well, it basically got boiled down to that if you were pro-Brexit, that meant you were a uh, racist. Yes. Uh, and, yes. you know, if you're an anti-Brexit was, you know, I guess, you know, whatever, you were just uh, one of the good guys. You're, you're an enlightened, progressive um, yeah, yeah. person who calls people who don't agree with you racist. Yeah. <laughs> I always said, you know, I think there were good arguments on, uh, on, on both sides. It's a shame nobody actually used them, you know? Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. Are you, are you are you familiar with the with the idea of uh, luxury beliefs? Yes, I am. Yeah. Yes, which is, yes. Uh, which is... Elizabeth Currid Halkett. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, yeah, the sum of small things like, nails it. Yeah. Um, so you know where 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 people used to display social status by, you know, goods they acquire, but now yes. uh, you can display it with beliefs that you hold. <laughs> but there's danger there because if you bought your North Face jacket and then suddenly you find that North Face aren't quite as um, 
is, mm -hmm. is right on as you imagined, you know, kind of then, or you 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 carry an old way told tote bag around with you, and you realise that they've just sold out for you know x billion pounds. There's a again, it, 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 these beliefs don't run that deep, do they? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I wonder if they're sort of fashions, you know, because. Uh... I suppose, you know, kind of like if, if the stuff that's winning awards at Cannes, and Patrick Collister has now pointed out that of the 44, grand, no, of the 43 Grand Prix winners at Cannes this year, 30, 34 were cause related. Mm. Now, I'm sure some of those 34 have got great ideas in them, you know, kind of, but, but going back to the point I was making about Maltesers, which is a pretty, which is an ideas free campaign. Um, I think if we're saying that these pieces of work are exemplary, then young people coming into the industry, and actually people working in the industry, are, are, are not being taught the importance of basic process, you know, and mm -hmm. how you get to, how you write a brief, how you come up with an idea that dramatizes or demonstrates a product benefit or a you know, or services benefit. Um, and it, I, I, I got an insight into that recently where Richard Shotton, um, who wrote a book called The Choice Factory, a very successful yeah. book about behavioral economics and yeah. how it can be applied, practical application of behavioral economics to marketing problems. And he lifted a laminate that I, I'd, I'd sent it to Dave Dye, the wonderful. Magnificent mm -hmm. date die for for a podcast we were doing, and it was a laminate which I, which Martin, my partner, and I gave to all the people who worked at HTW, my agency, and it had to be stuck above their desk. If you were a suit, you stuck this above your desk, and it was how to write a brief. Mm. But uh, honestly, and you know, and it, it was strategy one hundred and one. Mm. You know, who who are we talking to? What do they think? What do we want them to think? What do you want them to do? What is the proposition? What is the support for this proposition? Mm. Anything else we can say, you know? Mm. And Richard got hundreds and hundreds of likes, you know, mm. and it was it was phenomenally successful. Not only that, other people started to 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 post their own versions of it, yeah. and the comments on it. You would have thought that Richard had descended from Mount Sinai with advertising's Ten Commandments. You know, brilliant. In, 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 in many brilliant. in many ways, he had. You know, the, the... well, he, well, <laughs> well, he had. But the fact that that the, these people have been worshiping at the golden calf of purpose for the mm. past five years meant that they actually didn't understand the value of these simple truths. Mm. You know, and of, um, and I was just gobsmacked by mm. the, the 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 gratitude. That these people show. It's yeah. nobody teaching these people this shit. Yeah, well, it's crazy. I do, you know, I, I do a little bit of. Um, well, I wouldn't call it teaching, but um, you know, but well, people can pay me to talk at them, and uh, I uh, and, and, and it's <laughs> people that are either you know early stage planners or they're doing something else and they want to understand a little bit about planning. You know, and one, and one of the first documents that I talk to them about is the JWT planning guide written in 1975. Right. And right. there's that Stephen King. It was no, it was uh, it was after King, but it was 
you know, uh, I can't remember exactly who wrote it, but it's based on uh, it's based on that. But it was actually written by somebody later on. But the, it's the yeah. same uh, from the same sort of stream of thinking, you know. And uh, yeah. and you show that to people. I mean, it was written in 1975. There's very little of it I would change, uh, you know, today because everything uh, uh, still stands. But you, but you show that to uh, you know to to people now, and it's like that's a great revelation. Yeah, and they've, and they've never heard of it, and uh, yeah. you know, but it's really you know one of the it's really you know the first thing you know for a planner anyway. It's like just understand yeah. a little bit about the competitive situation and you know what sort of market share do they have, you know, and all that, that kind of stuff. All these kind of questions, which um, which young planners, you know, they're kind of like, oh yeah, I never thought about that. And it's like, well, that's the absolute fundamentals of what what you need to know before you start making decisions about how to, you know. I, I agree entirely. There's a, there's a fabulous article written by Martin Weigel, um, who is the head of planning at Weidman Kennedy Amsterdam. Yeah. Um, he wrote it in, it, it, it came out in his blog, The Canal Side View in March, and it's called The Lives of Others. To find yeah. a way in, we must find a way out, uh, find a way out of our own. And he's, uh, he's castigates the planning function now yeah. as a zero consumer exposure activity, you know? yeah. Yeah. Um, and our inability, uh, you know, he he borrows quite a bit from Tenzer and Murray uh, yeah. and the empathy delusion, but just says we are so out of touch and so in the bubble and also so despising of the people we are writing to. Mm-hmm. You know uh, who are we? We are creating for. Mm-hmm. You know we look down upon them, and he says, if you look down on them, get out of the fucking industry. Yeah. You know, you're in but the it, wrong. It, it, it is that thing, you know. I mean, the you know because the majority of products and services and things you know are bought and used by just you know ordinary people that do normal jobs and. He says, he says the money is in the, he says, Martin says, the money is in the mainstream. Yeah. You know, I know you want to write, he says, I know you want to write your, your strategies for, you know, kind of people like you. Yeah. But the money is with the mainstream. Study the mainstream and write and create the strategies for them. Exactly. Know? Yeah, exactly. It's a brilliant piece of work. Yeah. So the, um, so obviously, can't sell, won't sell. So all of the kind of things that we we talked about in the last hour are you know topics related to this and also you know discussed yeah. through the book but then but you did um you know you just recently updated it um but it came out what six weeks ago about two months ago yeah two months yeah. ago um and um just uh you know what what was the the you know, because we we talked about earlier on how we think, you know, maybe, you know, the tide's starting to turn with mm. some conferences are coming up that actually want to talk about, you know, business impact of advertising and stuff. Yeah. But but you did feel that it was necessary just to update that with uh, so you, you've got sort of six new short chapters in yeah. the back of it. What was what was the sort of, um, you know, because obviously you put your stake in the ground. Right, and then, as you said before, you weren't sure how it was going to be received, but but it was people were a lot more 
supportive than you maybe anticipated, but then you still felt like actually there's just a bit more to say on this. Yeah. Uh, what what was the um, you know what was the the motivation to just to actually keep it to keep keep it going? Well, I left the story just two months into three months into the COVID crisis. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if my argument was that advertising's core function was its commercial purpose, um, I wanted to track whether advertising would discover its commercial purpose in time of recession, in a time of national crisis. Yeah. Um, so I, I resumed the story from August 2020 and brought it right up to June 2021. Um, yeah. And found that there were... That, Generally, in, in the regions, um, there, were, there was the, the agencies were absolutely wedded to their commercial purpose. You know, kind of they, they are so close to the entrepreneurial impulse, i.e., their own, because they're usually small shops and yeah. very and quite often ma owner owner managed, mm -hmm. and they work with smaller clients who mm -hmm. want to see a return on their advertising investment. Yeah. So the advertising, you know, kind of the responses I got from um, from from the regions were brilliant. I mean, this came from Andy Bundy, the creative director at the AND Partnership in Manchester. Yeah. And he wrote, I quote him in the latest version, to everyone working in what's left of our business, I'd like to ram this book so far down your throat that you could read it without taking your head out of your ass. Steve Harrison <laughs> next Steve Harrison nails modern agencies to a cross. So that was, you know, and that was the consensus from the regions. Um, and I wanted to pursue that. You know, when, uh, so, Steve, when, so when you do your next book, you know, <laughs> and, you, and you have a page, you know, you know, in your book, you always, if you get any praise for the previous one, you always have a page for praise for yeah. it. So I won't sell. That quote has to be, uh, that, that is, <laughs> That deserves a page on its own. It does, really. It does. Um, but I've suggested, I think that the uh, the government's industry uh, sec culture secretary suggested that, I mean, what is happening at things like the Advertising Association and DNAD is simply reflected through, across all our cultural institutions. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the British Museum, the, the, the ICA, you know, kind of. Um, and they are all staffed by activists who as you say as you're going to say in your book use their position in order fraudulently to use charitable money in order to project their political views onto the country yeah. and the culture secretary said i think it might be a good idea to invite somebody from the provinces someone from manchester somebody from mm -hmm. leeds someone from beyond the bubble to work to, to sit on the board of these mm -hmm. places to be trustees of the ICA, trustees of the National Trust, trustees of the British Museum. And I have suggested that Andy Bundy should be the next president of the DNAD. Yeah, I guess that, you, you know, know I, I'm not sure, I've never checked on this, but I'm not sure whether anyone has been president of DNAD who has come from a regional agency. That's right. But it's it's probably unlikely. You know, these things like, you know, National Trust or the British Museum, I mean, the, cl the clues are in the title, you know, National. Yeah. National Trust, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, not, yeah. it's not the, you know, southeast of England Trust. No, 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 no. yeah. Um, so, so that was one thing that I found. The other thing that I found was that the, 
because people were being booted out of work or people were just sick of the politicization of the industry mm. they were starting up on their own and you know as well as i do that when you're in when you're in a room on your own with a telephone hoping that a client might ring mm. you're going to tell them how you can how you can keep their factory open aren't you yeah. you're going to tell them how you can keep their shop open you're going to yeah. tell them how they can keep the bank manager happy you know yeah. uh uh, and, you, and you're not, I'm afraid, going to talk to them about how you, what you're going to do for LGBTQ rights in the first exactly. campaign that you do for them. Sorry, sorry, but I think that commercial reality does assert itself when it's your money and your livelihood that is, a, that is in the balance. Yeah. Okay. So I found that the big shops, the big network shops are still, because they're so divorced from you know, kind of the, 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 the commercial realities of, of the business. They're still trucking along, you know, kind of with the, with the purpose, uh, with the rather tired purpose agenda that they're, that they're happy to promote. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think generally, there, you know, the, the COVID crisis has, I think, injected, you know, kind of you look at even the big agencies, when you think about it, they were losing 47% of revenue, 50% of revenue, 25, you know, all the big shops. Yeah. But took a bath last year. Um, and I think that they, they're probably sneaking in a bit of commercial reality into their new business decks mm-hmm. at the moment, you know? There was a story I, uh, I heard <clears throat> of uh, and so this is this is in Australia, but there was a well. I won't give too much away to on, on names because I don't want to get libelled. But anyway, there was a there was a never bothered me. <laughs> a company with a very large marketing budget, right? Who had uh, who had a, a well-known network agency yeah. uh, in Australia on retainer, um, yeah. and they were they were they were paying them. Uh, Hundred thousand or something Australian dollars a month. Uh, retaining. Oh so that, that's so that's 50, 50 grand or so British pounds. Yeah. yeah. So a decent retainer. Yeah. Anyway, the new uh, anyway, a marketing director left or a CMO left, and the new CMO came in and did a little sort of audit of what was going on. And they found that they hadn't had any work from that agency for eight months. <laughs> <laughs> Not, not uh, so four hundred grand. Eh? Yeah, not even like a crappy trends presentation or anything. Nothing. Yeah. Silence, you know. And so, so I think you know, we talk, you know, talking about that, the reality of COVID, you know, because it's bitten all over the place, you know, when, when uh, and especially at big organisations, big budgets, they've now actually had to go in and look at yeah. where money's been spent. And that's where I think a lot of agencies have lost their revenue is because they've been getting money under false pretenses you know, yes. uh, for some time. Mm. And I think they realise that they've now got a... I imagine that in light of the, the economic... Um, through expediency, they realise that clients... Clients do need to sell, but they, know, but they, know, but they are channelling that money down into the direct yeah. and digital sales activation yeah. agencies um, and who will who will chase you around the internet shouting messages shouting uh, you know kind of offers at you and in your wonderful yes. term delivering direct mail by drone you know yeah. <laughs> it's true, it's true. I mean, what you know but one of the things you know first things I say to to the 
planners I try and train a little bit, you know, I say, but you know, first thing you want to know is how does your client make money? Yeah. You know, because if you can, if you can impact that, you know, to the positive, yeah. then, yeah. uh, then you're already halfway there, you know, I, uh, just, I'm um, just to close off to, um, just a purpose gone mad. You know, I know we're talking about the tide might have turned and it might be getting better, yeah. but sometimes yeah. it gets, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe it I, uh, where I'm just trying to imagine what the conversation was in the room where right. where the agency managed to persuade Heinz oh, right, to, yeah. to drop the word Heinz from like the most famous advertising yeah. slogan in the history of the world, you know, beans yeah. means Heinz. Right. We're going to drop the word Heinz and then yeah. we're going to replace it with more. You know? So not only yeah. are we going to sort of destroy the greatest band line history, but we're going to just make it worse and with yes. no, no branding in it. Yes. And, uh, and, and I read that the rationale was uh, they're trying to sort of reposition Heinz beans as a sort of health product, you know, because it's plant-based protein or something. It's like, it's not, it's like a big tin of sugar and tomato sauce, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just thought, fair play to them, whoever it was that did it, to be able to sell that, to get like, you know, to be able to destroy one of the greatest lines ever, you know? Well, do, again, does it not support my thesis that people have forgotten the fundamentals? Yes, completely. You know? I mean, yeah. how could you, I mean, I'd, I don't think it's a purpose-driven, I don't see it as social purpose. I don't know. I, I just see it as bad, 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 bad advertising. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, why just, I mean, if someone had presented that to me, I'd say, so why is the Z now at the end of beans? <laughs> you know, why, why, what's the rationale? Because in five years time or three years time, when people have forgotten beans mean times, as you hope that they do because you're replacing it. The Z is pointless now, isn't it? Yeah. I, 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 yeah, if, if it said beans means moors, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, but that would be nonsensical. Yeah, it would you still know? be terrible, but, but it'd be slightly less terrible. <laughs> yes, it would. But this is like a gag now, you know, kind of knock who's there. Hmm. Beans. Beans who? A plant-based protein. Yeah. You know, kind of, there's no, the gag, it's, it's, it's a, the gag is set up with beans means hmm. more. It's like, no, knock who's there? Beans. Beans who? Beans means a plant-based protein. And it's just like, eh? Yeah, so obviously titanium lion coming for that. So. <laughs> well, I, I don't think so, because I don't <clears throat> think that the purpose is overtly related to social justice. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's more a, a, a classic, you know, I, I don't think that they've turned the, the dial up oh. on on what they said in their press release, Heinz's commitment to help eradicate child hunger in Britain. I don't see any evidence <laughs> of that in the commercial, right? You know, Heinz's commitment to help eradicate child hunger in Britain. Yeah. You know, bloody sure. All right. Okay. On that uh, humorous note, um, just before before we wrap up, so what's 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 next on the agenda? So, well, we've already said you're hoping to be out here. In Australia, yeah. begin the next year. Yeah. Um, what, what's your what's your schedule looking like between now and uh, and Christmas? Now that now that the UK sort of opened up a little bit, you'll be able to move around. Uh, well, 
Um, <laughs> I mean, thankfully, I mean, you know, what was it? Uh, Bob Hoffman said that 10 people write books and make a million dollars and a million people write books and make $10. Mm -hmm. so, well, I am firmly in the latter category. Mm. Um, and it has, you know, kind of um, cost me money to write it because of the effort goes into it. And also it cost me, I think, quite a bit of, uh, I'm still a jobbing freelancer when the, right. when the, you know, when something interests me and everything. But my God, I mean, like, um, I think my phone was disconnected for right. 12 months. Uh, well, when the first edition of the book came out. But again, another indicator that perhaps the tide is turning is that, yeah, I'm, I'm busy, you know. Yeah. Um, so in effect, you can't be cancelled, you know, because you kind of cancelled yourself. So I did, that, I did. So yeah. all that can happen is you can be sort of, you can uncancel. I can be reinstated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can be reinstated, you know. And so yeah. that, again, is a, is a, you know, kind of a, a green shoot. Um, yeah. Hopefully, as Patrick Callister says, it grows into a beanstalk-like yeah. proportions. <laughs> I doubt yeah. it will, but um, but that's good. So yeah, yeah um, and also just you know, kind of um, I, you know, keep the keep the pot boiling on um, on on can't sell, won't sell, and the on the argument that uh, I think that should be being had within the industry. Yeah. What, what about what about um, America, or, or is it all, is it all just a bit too British for for that? Right? No, forget America. Um, yeah. I think we can save. I think we've not saved the industry, but I think we can help the industry reassert common sense back into the marketing function. Yeah. Uh, but I doubt if you can, because you know, kind of as I say, it'll be difficult because this is the first fashion fad trend silver bullet that has got an ideological underpinning mm. you know um in the united states that ideological underpinning is part of a dangerously divisive culture war that, yeah. that goes on and i don't think that you can crit unfortunately you cannot critique the group think the orthodoxy yeah. uh, the left progressive group think orthodoxy without being accused of being a uh, a, a Donald Trump supporter yeah. or a racist, you know. Yeah. I think that though, I think the ring fencing of opinion is now so deeply entrenched that it's very difficult to, you know. I, yeah. I, I, I don't think my book. I, people don't admit to reading the book in the United right. States. You know, okay. people. I mean, people have been nervous about coming out here. To be quite mm. honest. You know, a number of people who have said, I would love to say it, but my freelance career depends upon mm. me uh, keeping stum. Mm -hmm. You know, but in the States, I think that uh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid yeah. that the book... Yeah, they're too, you know, they're too far gone, too far gone. I'm afraid, I'm afraid so, I'm afraid so. And, and really, I mean, you know, to be honest, it, the rest of the world has just sort of really imported a version of that kind of hysteria. Uh, from America, haven't they? It's, uh... I think the UK more than anybody else, mm. to be quite honest. But to your point about is there anything to be done, you know, kind of, there's an interesting, it, it's so divided and so dangerously, you know, kind of in conflict, is, is, I, I, I get the impression of American society, that it is interesting. You raise the issue of Ben and Jerry and uh, yeah. ice creams about defunding the police. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, my, my view on defunding the police is that actually it would be much 
better if they described it clearly and said diverting funds from the police. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that for me, I think, is an idea that really does need exploring. Mm -hmm. But defunding the police is, as is it? yeah, according to Opel Temete, she said in the FT that yeah, de de diverting funds would be would be more accurate. But defunding. Yeah gets people thinking more rigorously about what's going on yeah. instead, basically. Yeah. It's it, it's incendiary. Yeah. And of course, uh, you know, no, nobody is in favour of police brutality or <laughs> anything like that. But again, no. it's this sort of, you know, what, what a lot of these social justice type causes, what they're very good at creating is this false, you know, what they call, I can't remember what the you know, right name for it is, but that the black and white fallacy kind of thing it's like yes, a binary binary view yeah, yes yeah which is you know if if you're not if you're not in favor of defund the police that means you must be in favor of uh police brutality and it's like no you know? <laughs> well, well no but i mean interestingly the african-americans in the united states are not in favor of defunding the police in the most recent in the the the, the I think it was Ipsos Mori and Gallup said found that only 18% of Black Americans were in favour of defund of defunding the police, which the implication being starve them of funds, which means less police. And the reason why they're not in favour of defunding the police or starving them of funds and you know less police on the on the streets is because they are they are overwhelmingly the victims of the violence that is that is that has exploded over the past couple months in the United States. Yeah. But going back to Ben and Jerry, I think that, that it's a divisive campaign defunding. I think it's causing it, it to get to, to, to get yourself involved in that as a manufacturer of ice cream is 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 why are you doing this? Surely mm. at the moment at this time the country needs a sense of healing and a sense of reconciliation. Mm. Why are you, the manufacturer of a fucking ice cream, throwing your own hand grenade in there? Yeah, but this is, you know, this is someone in Unilever has like signed that well, off because they're thinking, yeah, you know, let's get that progressive well, dollar. Well, the, <laughs> the next thing is, why is a Dutch Anglo-Dutch company throwing its hand grenade into the middle of American mm. cultural politics? You know, kind of, you've got a question, you know, kind of a, 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 a global corporation based in Holland and the, and the United Kingdom throwing its hand grenade into the mix there in order to cause, I mean, it can only cause greater yeah. division. Yeah. And now you've got to ask yourself, if this was a Chinese company that owned Ben & Jerry, yeah. do you think they'd be allowed to do that in the United yeah. States? You know, so, couldn't wouldn't this be seen as as a as a as a as a as a decidedly intentional, divisive political act? Yeah. You know, and so Ben and Jerry was owned by you know kind of like the biggest Chinese you know kind of um, FMCG manufacturer in the world. Mm -hmm. I think questions will be asked in Congress about this. Yeah. You know. Anyway, we're opening up a whole can of beans. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so. which means crossing black, black yeah. <laughs> all right right i uh i need to go and eat something now so yes thank you very much uh steve and so i uh, yeah um i'll post uh, the link to the uh updated edition uh, of the book in the oh thank you in the show description 
And uh, yeah, here's here's hoping that we can yes. see each other in poison. Um, I would love that. Really love it. Fantastic. All right. Okay, mate. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Here you go.